If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. second part of BBC History Magazine's December 2008 podcast. My name's Sue Wingrove and I'm the Deputy Editor of the magazine. I'm joined today by Section Editor Rob. Hello. Most of today's podcast is devoted to our special BBC History Magazine Christmas Pub Quiz, presented by Quizmaster Justin Pollard, the historian and writer who's also a QI elf. Justin has some not entirely serious teasers for your festive entertainment, so we'll be testing your historical knowledge later on. But first, some highlights of the December issue, which is in the shops now, with an iconic face of Winston Churchill on the cover. Rob, what's in this issue? Yes, this month we look at Churchill's pact with Stalin and how the wartime leader had to befriend one tyrant to beat another one in the Second World War. We've also got a feature on Herodotus, who has been dubbed the father of history, plus we take a look at the rise and fall of the ancient city of Babylon. We also examine King Arthur and look at some of the places in the UK that are associated with this legendary hero. And on a festive note, a historian who spent a year recreating 19th century life for the forthcoming TV series The Victorian Farm tells us about her Victorian Christmas. Plus, we look at how the Victorians exploited Christmas for its commercial possibilities. And don't forget, we have a special bumper Christmas crossword in the magazine too. All these subjects are explored in the current issue of BBC History magazine, which is on sale now. And we've got a fantastic Christmas offer for you this month. Treat a friend, relative or even yourself this Christmas and choose from four fantastic books worth up to £20 when you subscribe today. You will also save 25% on the shop price. For more details, either have a look on our website or call us on 0844 844 0250 and quote the code POD1208 to ensure you don't miss out on this brilliant offer. Now, in a moment, Rob will be recommending three historical things to do in the Christmas holidays. But first, here's my roundup of the latest new history books. First up is the eagerly awaited new book by David Starkey. Henry, Virtuous Prince, is a brilliant account of the early life of the future Henry VIII. It's good because it's eminently readable, yet authoritative, and David Starkey brings his trademark fluency and acuity to the subject. Um, I think we're having a feature on that, aren't we, in April's issue? Indeed, so look forward to that. Um, Next up is Butcher and Bolt by David Lyon. This is an account of Afghanistan's war-torn past. It's good because the author has reported from both sides of today's conflict and presents a balanced account of a series of disastrous entanglements over the past 200 years. Finally, there's a new biography of Florence Nightingale by Mark Bostridge. This is good because it neither iconises nor vilifies its subject. It's a balanced and convincing perspective on one of Britain's most famous Victorians. Now, here's Rob with three ideas for things to do over the Christmas break. OK, well, to begin, we've got a Babylon exhibition running at the British Museum. 
Um, this exhibition opened in November. It's got some amazing artefacts from the heyday of ancient Babylonian civilization, but it also looks at how legends from Babylon have permeated our culture ever since. So, for example, you've got the Tower of Babel, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and things like that. Now, secondly, as you may know, next year is Charles Darwin's bicentenary, and to kick things off, the Natural History Museum is holding an exhibition on the great naturalist. It covers the famous voyage of the Beagle, looks at how he formulated his ideas, and apparently has even got some live animals there. And if Darwin is your thing, have a look out for our January issue, where we're going to have a feature about how Christianity faced up to his theories. And finally, if you fancy watching something a little bit different on TV over Christmas, the History Channel is showing crap, a short history. In this programme, explorer Monty Halls looks at how biological waste has been put to use over the centuries, including for building and heating purposes. This show is due to be screened on the 21st of December, but it could change, so please check out our weekly TV email for more info. And you can sign up for our TV and radio pick of the week, an e-newsletter which drops into your mailbox each week with details of the must-see history programmes on TV. To sign up, just go to our website at www.bbchistorymagazine.com. And now, before we join Justin Pollard for our BBC History Magazine Christmas pub quiz, please indulge us for a brief advertising message. BBC Audiobooks has just published a new CD called The American Future by Simon Sharma. In this new book, published to accompany the BBC television series shown recently, Simon Sharma, one of today's foremost historians and author of the authoritative History of Britain, turns his attention to the USA. Here he examines how such diverse issues as equality, slavery, conflict, capitalism and democracy have defined America's identity in history and will influence what it becomes in future. A choice has to be made, not just between politicians or parties, but about the American future and the character of the nation. Peering out at the fog and rain, Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi stood in the head he had designed, the head of liberty enlightening the world. The day, the 28th of October, 1886, had gone well despite the weather. A million had watched the parade from City Hall Park down Broadway. The bands had been properly rehearsed, the flotilla of tugs and steamboats in the harbour a happy cacophony of horns and whistles. Around four o'clock, with the light fading, Bartholdi listened intently for the end of Secretary Evart's speech, the signal for him to unveil the statue. A burst of applause came from the two thousand dignitaries seated before the pedestal. Bartholdi tugged at the ripcord, and, with the precision he had prayed for, the great tricolor veil fell from the face of the Colossus. A roar went up from the audience, and a mighty tooting from the tugboats. President Grover Cleveland rose to his feet to accept the gift of the statue from the Sister Republic of France. We are not here today to bow before the representation of a fierce, warlike god filled with wrath and vengeance but we joyously contemplate instead our own deity keeping watch and ward over the open gates of America. They were indeed still open. In the next six months, a quarter of a million immigrants saw the upraised copper arm with its beacon of liberty. On the 11th of May, 1887, 
13 steamers unloaded just short of 10,000 on a single day. Seven years later, in 1894, the Immigration Restriction League was founded to combat the irresponsible sentimental universalism, as it saw it, of those who looked upon the torch of liberty in New York Harbor and wiped a tear from their eye. The men who created the League were from the cream of the Eastern Patriciate, those who flattered themselves as belonging to its intellectual as well as social aristocracy. Their most strenuous mind, arguably, was Francis A. Walker, the Dean of American Statisticians and the President of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. The League was itself born in the sacred halls of Harvard. The aim stated in their constitution was to arouse public opinion to the necessity of a further exclusion of elements undesirable for citizenship or injurious to our national character. And so the moment has arrived for our BBC History Magazine Christmas Pub Quiz. But first, don't forget that you can subscribe to BBC History Magazine and save 25% on the shop price. Call us on 0844 844 0250 or go online at www.subscribeonline.co.uk forward slash history magazine. Just add the code POD1208 to take advantage of this offer, which ends on 31st of December 2008. Hello and welcome to our BBC History magazine Christmas Pub Quiz 2008. We're delighted to have with us here today our quizmaster Justin Pollard. Hello Justin. Hello. And also here today is section editor Rob Attar. Hello. Now Justin is a historian, writer and screenwriter in the field of feature films, TV and print. He read archaeology and anthropology at Cambridge. His credits include Terry Jones's Barbarians for BBC TV, the delightfully racy TV series The Tudors, and the Time Teen series on Channel 4. And now he's also a QI elf. Justin, what is that exactly? Uh, well, we research and write the scripts for the uh, BBC quiz show QI. Um, we squirrel away for a year, putting together uh, questions, mining the great mountain of facts to find the best information to get Stephen to uh, battle his panel with. Fantastic. Well, we, it's very popular in our house, is QI. Um, now, Rob, you wanted to ask a bit about Justin's new book, I think. Yeah, I think it's called Charge, the Interesting Bits of Military History. So what are these interesting bits? Uh, well, I mean, the book is really a collection of 200 or so of the bits of military history that you don't normally get in the big history books that are full of you know diagrams of battles and strategies and biographies of generals. They're the little personal stories that don't really, really ever get told. So... Um, as an example, there's uh, poor old uh, Captain Karl Adolf Schlitt. Now, uh, Karl Adolf Schlitt was the captain of uh, U-1206. It's 1945, April, and he's uh, 100 feet below the North Sea, just off Peterhead. Now, nothing unusual about that for U-boat captain, but at this particular moment, on this particular day, uh, Captain Schlitt decides he needs to go to the loo. Now, of course, uh, German engineering being remarkably good, it was actually possible to go to the loo on a U-boat whilst it was submerged. But it did involve using a fiendishly complicated uh, series of valves and levers to make sure that uh, the waste went out into the sea and the sea didn't come into the U-boat. 
Now, Karl Adolf Schlitt was a bit embarrassed because he'd forgotten how to use this, and so he wouldn't ask the officer who'd been trained in using the toilet how it worked and just had a go himself. Uh, the result was sadly predictable. Uh, almost immediately, the cubicle began to fill up with sewage and seawater, which then drained through into the battery room, where it mixed with the battery acid and formed chlorine gas. The chlorine gas, of course, is highly toxic. The submarine was forced to immediately surface, where it was spotted by a British fighter plane and shot up. So Carl uh, Adolf Schlitt, before he'd fired a single torpedo, had to burn his orders and scuttle his U-boat, being the only U-boat in German military history to ever been sunk by its own toilet. <laughs> I just need to ask, is that actually his real name? Uh, sadly it is, <laughs> yes, yes, poor Karl Adolf Schlitt. Yes. An alternative <laughs> Battle of Waterloo. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'd just like to say I think that one will go down in history. <laughs> oh dear, OK. Real stink. Oh, OK, enough of that. OK, right, well moving on now to our BBC History magazine Christmas Pub Quiz 2008. Now, as you might have guessed from the way this is going so far, it's not designed as a serious exam, but rather to be fun and festive. So whether you're listening on our website or have downloaded it from iTunes, you'll be able to pause it between rounds while you confer with your teammates or indeed look the answers up on the internet. Right, um, over to Justin then to start our quiz. Right, this round is British history. Uh, Five questions in each round. Question one, what cost 37 pence when it was abolished in 1988? Question two. What were the code names of the three landing beaches for D-Day used by British troops? Question three. Who were the last two men held prisoner in the Tower of London? Question four. Who was elected Civilian Professor of Astronomy at the University of Oxford in 1661 and Surveyor General of the King's Works in 1669? And finally, question five. In which city is Alfred the Great buried? And the answers to British history. Question one, what cost 37 pence was abolished in 1988? That was the dog licence. Question two, the codename for the three British landing beaches during D-Day were Gold, Sword and Juno. Uh, Question three, the last two men held prisoner in the Tower of London were the Cray twins who were kept there for having refused to do national service at a time their battalion was actually stationed in the Tower. Question four, the civilian professor of astronomy at the University of Oxford in 1661 and Sphere General of the King's Works was Sir Christopher Wren, who was an astronomer before he was an architect. And the city in which Alfred the Great is buried is Winchester, although his exact location is unknown, probably under a car park in Hyde. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. 
Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next round, the military. Question one, which eye did Nelson wear a patch over? Question two, what wasn't given to British First World War pilots in case it impaired their fighting spirit? Question three, multiple choice, what were Waterloo teeth? Were they A, dentures made from the teeth of soldiers killed at the Battle of Waterloo, B, sabres used by Prussian cavalry officers at the Battle of Waterloo, or C, a type of hydraulic railway buffer first installed at Waterloo Station. Question 4. What happened to Major General John Sedgwick moments after announcing they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance? Question five, multiple choice again. Uh, There's a clue in the introduction. What piece of equipment sunk U-1206? Was it A, its own torpedo, B, its own toilet, or C, its Enigma machine? And the answers for the military round. Question one, which eye did Nelson wear a patch over? Neither. He occasionally wore a sunshade over his good eye, but never wore a patch. Question two, what wasn't given to British First World War pilots in case it impaired their fighting spirit was, of course, a parachute. Despite the technology existing, it was considered inappropriate as it encouraged pilots to abandon government property. Question three, Waterloo teeth were A dentures made from the teeth of soldiers killed at the Battle of Waterloo. It was considered very patriotic to wear them after the war. Question four, what happened to Major General John Sedgwick moments after announcing they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance? Uh, He was shot dead by a marksman at the uh, opening um, rounds of the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. And question five, which piece of equipment sunk U-1206? It was B, its own toilet. This round is on royalty. Question one. 
which cake was supposedly named in honour of the 1884 marriage of a granddaughter of Queen Victoria to the German Prince Louis, son of the Grand Duke of Hesse-Darmstadt. Question 2. One was great, the next was bald, one was fat, another simple, then a fair one, a wise one, and the next was mad. Who am I talking about? Question 3. The city of Tartu, modern Beijing, was founded in 1267 by the first Mongol emperor of China as his winter capital. What was the name of his summer capital? Question 4. What cold dish was created in 1953 by Constance Spry and Rosemary Hume so that wives and mothers wouldn't have to cook on the 2nd of June that year? And question 5. Name the three countries ruled by King Canute. And the answers to the royalty round. Question 1. The cake named after the marriage of a granddaughter of Queen Victoria to the German Prince Louis of Battenberg is the Battenberg cake. Question 2. One was great, the next bald, one was fat, another simple, a fair one, a wise one and a mad one. These are all French kings called Charles. Question 3. The city of Tartu, modern Beijing, was the winter capital of Kublai Khan. His summer capital was Xanadu. Question four. The cold dish created in 1953 was coronation chicken. And question five. The three countries ruled by King Canute were England from 1016 to 1035, Denmark from 1018 to 1035, and Norway from 1028 to 1035. This round is on crime. Question 1. What was first used in 1792 and last used in 1977? Question 2. In March 1980, a ship called the Miamigo sank off the British coast. What illegal activity was this ship known for? Question 3. What is the only crime which, when committed by an employee of the BBC, is instantly sackable? Question 4. What punishment did the 17th century British Bloody Code lay down for being convicted of impersonating a Chelsea pensioner? And question 5. What purchase in 1893 got Tottenham Hotspur suspended from the London FA for two weeks? And the answer to the crime round. What was first used in 1792 and last used in 1977 was the guillotine. The first guillotine-like device was actually uh, used in Halifax in 1286. 
Uh, but the last official execution using the guillotine in France was on September the 10th, 1977. Question two. The Mi Amigo sank off the British coast. Its illegal activity was that it broadcast pirate radio. It was the Radio Caroline ship. Question three. The only crime that can get you instantly sacked from the BBC is not paying your licence fee. Question four. The bloody code laid down a penalty for being convicted of impersonating a Chelsea pensioner of death. In 1688, only 50 crimes carried the death penalty. Thanks to the bloody code, by 1815, 225 crimes carried the death penalty. And finally, question five. What purchase got Tottenham Hotspur suspended from the London FA? Uh, They gave Ernie Payne some money to buy some football boots and were accused of professionalism. This round is on the USA. Question one. The United States cruiser USS Phoenix sustained no casualties during the attack on Pearl Harbor and became known as the luckiest ship in the US Navy. It was less lucky when it was sunk in 1982, but what was its name by then? Question two. Every US president except one has done this. Six have done it more than once, but only one has ever done it in the White House. What? Question three. During the First World War, what was renamed a Liberty Sandwich? Question four. Despite not being alone at the time, Why are Einstein's last words not known? And question five. What name for a short haircut came from its popularity amongst Harvard and Yale rowing teams during the 1940s and 50s? And the answers to the USA round. The cruiser USS Phoenix, the luckiest ship in the US Navy, was less lucky in 1982 when it was sunk, by which time it was carrying the name General Belgrano. Question two. Every US president except one has done this. It's get married. Question three. During the First World War, a Liberty Sandwich was the name given to what had been called a hamburger. Likewise, sauerkraut was renamed Liberty Cabbage. Question four. Despite not being alone at the time, why are Einstein's last words not known? The only person in the room with him was his maid, who only spoke English, and he said his last words in German. And question five. The name for a short haircut, popular with Harvard and Yale rowers, was the crew cut. And this is a Christmas round, uh, events that happened on the 25th of December. So on this day, question one. On this day was born an English physicist who once threatened to burn down his parents' house with them in it. He's also dubiously credited with inventing the cat flap. Who is he? Question two. 
On this day was executed the dictator who ordered the building of the largest and most expensive civilian administrative building on earth. Who was he? Question three. On this day died the surrealist Spanish painter who claimed he wanted to assassinate painting. Who was he? Question four. This day is Constitution Day on the island formerly known as Formosa. What's it known as now? And finally, question five. This day saw the creation of the first attested nativity scene by this saint and founder of the Orders of Friars Minor in 1223. Who was he? And the answers to round six on this day, the 25th of December. Question one, in the old-style calendar, the English physicist who threatened to burn down his parents' house with them in it was Isaac Newton, born on the 25th of December, 1642, old calendar. Question two, the dictator who ordered the building of the largest, most expensive civilian administrative building on Earth was Nikolai Ceausescu, who was executed on the 25th of December, 1989. Question three. The surrealist Spanish painter who claimed he wanted to assassinate painting was Miro, who died on the 25th of December, 1983. Question four. Constitution Day is the 25th of December on Taiwan. And finally, question five. The 25th of December, 1223, saw the creation of the first attested nativity scene by... St. Francis of Assisi. And that's the lot. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.